Welcome to Pick 6 Movies, where each and every season, my old friend Chad Cooper and myself, Bo Ransdell, select a sextet of movies built around a central idea, a theme if you will. Wait, all of that is true, but none of that is right. This is Pick 6 Movies, and I am Bo Ransdell, I think, but we won't be starting a new season until the next episode. Nope where you have found yourself, ladies and gentlemen, is an unheard of, a stupendous, a preposterous episode that stands alone all by itself in celebration of the one-year anniversary of season four of Pick 6 Movies, The War on Christmas Movies. For such a momentous occasion, we have found something really special. The time has come to talk about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. Didn't know all those words in that order made a real thing? Welcome to the club. Now sit back, relax, and let Chad whisk you away to a winter wonderland of celebrity insanity. Happy holidays, everyone, and take it away, Chad. At Christmas time, we so often share a holiday meal with friends and family who we pretend to enjoy spending time with. And in between the consumption of copious amounts of alcohol and constantly tamping down urges to tell your relatives that their social and political views are abhorrent, we make a more congenial decision to instead return to the casserole dishes and plates to get a second helping of our favorite foods from the holiday feast. But more often than not, the turkey or holiday ham, that's not what we scoop up and slop onto our plates. No, not at all. It's rarely the main course that we found most pleasing to the palate. It is the side dishes that lure you away from the table for that unhealthy second, or let's not kid ourselves here, third helping of your favorite delicious decadent dish. Yes, it's the side dishes, the unsung heroes of the holiday meal. And we all have certain sides that if, let's be honest, you just had a giant plate of that, you'd be happy as you can be just gorging yourselves on this one designated delicious dish. Why aren't side dishes the featured attraction? That's what we all really want, right? We don't need all this other stuff ruining what could be a most pleasant, singularly focused holiday meal. There's just one problem. A side dish does not a whole meal make. In the entertainment industry, the upstanding virtuous creators of original television and feature film content are always looking for a way to move the unsung second-tier performers from the dimly lit shadows cast by the featured star performers' blinding glow and give these diamonds in the rough a spotlight of their own. TV and film spinoffs, or bad ideas, as they're more commonly known, are nothing new. Now, we can't say that all spinoffs for television or film are terrible ideas. All in the Family gave rise to Maud, featuring B. Arthur as the title character Maud. All in the Family helped Sherman Hemsley move on up to a deluxe performance in the sky as he was the leading man in the Jeffersons. Happy Days introduced the world to Robin Williams as Mork from Ork, which led to Mork and Mindy, where America got to see what a cocaine addiction looked like when you wrapped it up in a sitcom. 
Happy Days also created an opportunity for Penny Marshall and Cindy Williams to move to Milwaukee and work in a beer factory in the sitcom Laverne and Shirley. Heck, even before all that, Jim Neighbors left Mayberry to starring Gomer Pyle USMC, quite a progressive military sitcom considering it took place decades before Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Charlotte Ray was cast as Mrs. Garrett, who left her job working for the Drummonds as the housekeeper on Different Strokes, and she took a job working at an all-girls, girls, girls school in The Facts of Life. Lisa Bonet was Bill Cosby's oldest daughter on The Cosby Show, but she really dodged a bullet when she left that show to go to fake TV college in her own sitcom, A Different World. Cleveland Brown spun his way from the comfortable confines of Quahog on Family Guy and landed in the Cleveland. Show. Now, maybe Cleveland Brown wasn't a breakout character on Family Guy, but the show wasn't terrible. Heck, even the Rachel Maddow show was a spinoff of Countdown with Keith Oberman. That's right, even liberal leaning news commentary shows can be spinoffs. Watch this space. But for every successful transition from side dish to main course, there are countless forgettable failures smoldering in the wreckage of tragic television train wrecks. For every Frasier, there's a Tortelli's. For every Melrose Place, there's a Models, Inc. For every Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, there's a Cheer Perfection. Baywatch Nights, Aftermash, Joni Loves Chachi, Snooky and JWoww. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Hey, Chad, I thought this was a movie podcast. What's with all the TV jibber-jabber? See, here's the thing. Not all TV spinoffs began on the small screen. Sometimes, just sometimes, spinoffs leap from the big screen to the small screen in the most unexpected ways. Bronson Pinchot was cast in the ABC sitcom Perfect Strangers after his role as Serge, the art gallery curator in 1984's Beverly Hills Cop, where he served espresso with a little lemon twist and he expressed his displeasure of men showing off their hairy chest in public. Reginald Vell Johnson played the lovable Sergeant Al Powell in the original Die Hard movie, and he later went on somewhat to replicate this role as a lovable beat cop when he was cast as the family patriarch in a different ABC sitcom, Family Matters. That was a show that had Urkel on it. Going way back into the 80s, country music singer Mel Tillis and Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback Terry Bradshaw reprised their pairing from the ensemble road race movie The Cannonball Run for a pilot on an NBC show called The Stalkers. Now in this show, Bradshaw and Tillis played stock car racers who headed across the U.S. in an effort to outsmart a bill collector named The Crusher. This show tried to capitalize on the chemistry of Bradshaw and Tillis in the Cannonball Run, and they were also trying to woo the audience of the Dukes of Hazard to come over and watch this other show. If you've never heard of The Stalkers, well, that's because it was never fully picked up as a series. And why was that? Because it was terrible. And how do I know that? Because I watched it. And speaking of terrible things, who can forget the infamous Star Wars holiday special that aired in 1978? This special was written by Pat Proft, one of the guys behind the movie Airplane and The Naked Gun, and Bruce Valanche, the blonde-haired, red-framed glasses, comedic joke writer who penned one-liners for Academy Award ceremonies and he wrote for Hollywood Squares and the 
Donnie and Marie show? Holy shit. The Star Wars Holiday Special came out after the original Star Wars film was released, but before the sequel, The Empire Strikes Back. And the Star Wars Holiday Special featured much of the original cast, including Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Art Carney, Diane Carroll, Harvey Corman, and the musical stylings of Jefferson Starship. You know what? I don't want to hear any more bitching and complaining about those first three prequels and these most recent sequels. It could have been a lot worse, people. And speaking of silver screen inspired TV adaptations of holiday specials, and especially ones that were a whole lot worse than their predecessors, we turn our attention to the subject matter of this episode of Pick 6 Movies. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in Pick 6 Movies history, we are serving up a surprise bonus episode for Season 4, The War on Christmas Movies, where we're doing that thing we normally do for feature films, but in this episode, we're doing it for a made-for-TV movie. That's right, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. This is, of course, the sequel to the 1989 holiday classic National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which was episode two of season four of this very podcast. The original Christmas Vacation starred, of course, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo reprising their roles as Clark and Ellen Griswold. The original Christmas Vacation also saw the return of Randy Quaid and Miriam Flynn as Cousin Eddie and his wife Catherine, two characters who, by their own admission in the first Christmas Vacation, said that they utilize plastic sheets and gerbils when they have sex in their recreational vehicle. The character of Cousin Eddie and his family were featured in the original National Lampoon's Vacation, but they did not appear in the sequel, National Lampoon's European Vacation. And when these two characters do return in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, it's not until almost an hour into the movie, halfway through the second act. Despite this lack of screen time, Cousin Eddie proved himself to be the breakout character of Christmas Vacation due to the brilliant comedic performance of Academy Award-nominated actor Randy Quaid. You didn't know that Randy Quaid was nominated for an Oscar? Well, if you don't know that, well then I'll bet there's quite a few things you don't know about Mr. Quaid. Shall we? Randy Quaid was born in Houston, Texas on October 1st, 1950. He got bit by the acting bug in high school and pursued his love of the stage at the University of Houston. During his time there, a teacher recommended that Randy go audition for a little movie called The Last Picture Show, which was being directed by an up-and-coming director named Peter Bogdanovich. And so Randy auditioned. And so Randy was cast in the movie as Lester Marlowe, opposite actress Sybil Shepard. Pick Six Movies alumni Ellen Burstyn and Jeff Bridges appeared in this movie. Special thanks to both Miss Burstyn and Mr. Bridges for returning to make an appearance in the introduction of this very special bonus holiday episode. Following the success of The Last Picture Show, Randy Quaid would go on to appear in Bogdanovich's next two films, What's Up Doc?, and Paper Moon. But it was Randy Quaid's performance in 1973's The Last Detail, where he played a United States sailor who is convicted of petty theft. In this film, Jack Nicholson plays the sailor who transports Quaid's character to prison to serve out his sentence. Randy Quaid's performance in The Last Detail led to an Academy Award nomination for Best Supporting Actor. He lost out to John Houseman in The Paper Chase, but he did win a Golden Globe Award for Best Supporting Actor in a Motion Picture and a BAFTA Award for Best Actor in a Supporting Role for his performance in The Last Detail. 
1976, Randy Quaid was in The Missouri Breaks opposite Marlon Brando. Two years later, he was in Midnight Express, which was written by Oliver Stone and directed by Alan Parker. Parker would later go on to direct Pink Floyd The Wall and Mississippi Burning. Then Quaid starred alongside the eccentric and unusual Andy Kaufman in the 1981 film Heartbeeps about a robot that falls in love. It's quite eccentric and very unusual. The first decade of Randy Quaid's career was filled with performances alongside some of the most talented people working in Hollywood, delivering truly critically acclaimed performances. Then in 1983, Quaid was cast as what will become one of his most memorable characters, that of Cousin Eddie in the Chevy Chase road trip comedy National Lampoon's Vacation. In that film, the first of five in the series, Cousin Eddie lives in rural America with his wife and all of his kids. In the movie, Cousin Eddie's oldest daughter admits to Chevy Chase's daughter that she and Cousin Eddie kiss each other with open mouths and imply that Cousin Eddie is most likely an incestuous child molester. That's not funny at all. After that performance, Randy Quaid found himself as a cast member on Saturday Night Live for the 1985-1986 season. That was the only season of Saturday Night Live not produced by Lorne Michaels. Instead, this season was produced by Dick Ebersol. The 85-86 cast also included the likes of Joan Cusack and Robert Downey Jr. That's right, you forgot that Jesse the Cowgirl and Iron Man are both SNL alumni. In 1987, Randy Quaid starred as President Lyndon Baines Johnson in LBJ The Early Years, where his performance landed him a Golden Globe statue and he was nominated for an Emmy for this performance. Quaid later had a small but forgettable part in Caddyshack 2. He would then go on to play the NASCAR team owner, Tim DeLand, in the Tom Cruise film Days of Thunder. It was in this movie that Randy Quaid introduced Pick Six Movies host Bo Ransdell to one of Bo's favorite and most colorful idioms when Randy Quaid's character stated, We look like a monkey fucking a football. Next in Randy Quaid's career came the film Quick Change, starring alongside Bill Murray, who also directed that movie. Then there was Texasville, the sequel to The Last Picture Show, also directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Quaid did voice work for The Ren and Stimpy Show. He was in Major League Two alongside Tom Berenger and Charlie Sheen. Then came the insanely popular Independence Day with Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. In that film, Randy Quaid's character, Russell Case, is a questionable nutjob who claims to be a survivor of UFO abduction. To repay the aliens for his abduction and one assumes subsequent anal probing, Quaid's character flies an airplane into the mothership of the aliens and sacrifices himself and does his part to save the entire planet that we humans like to call Earth. Then Quaid went on to play an Amish bowling protege in the Fairley Brothers dark comedy Kingpin alongside Woody Harrelson and former co-star Bill Murray. And then Quaid reprised his role of roles, that of Cousin Eddie, in National Lampoon's Vegas vacation. This is where Randy Quaid introduced me to one of my most favorite and colorful idioms when Randy Quaid said to a low-rent buffet attendant, I'll have some of that there yellow. This is a career of careers. Comedy, drama, action, adventure, animation, monkeys fucking footballs, some of that there yellow. It's all there. Then next came a small role in that live action animation mashup of The Adventures of Rocky and Bullwinkle starring Robert De Niro. Huh. And then there was that spoof comedy, Not Another Teen Movie. Then Eddie Murphy's sci-fi epic, The Adventures of Pluto Nash. And then National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. Wow. 
That is a, uh, that's a downhill slide. Whoa, wait, hey, Randy Quaid did go on to appear in Ang Lee's Oscar-winning film Brokeback Mountain, but Quaid eventually sued the filmmakers because he felt he was underpaid for his performance in an art film that was expected to make no money. Quaid eventually, inexplicably, dropped that lawsuit. Then Randy Quaid was cast in 2009's feature film Balls Out, Gary the Tennis Coach, opposite Sean William Scott. And then after that, nothing for almost a decade. And it's during this time period that the life of Randy Quaid got really, really weird. You see, if Randy Quaid wasn't acting for 10 years, well then what the heck was this Academy Award-nominated actor doing? Well, Randy Quaid spent most of this time on the run from the law. See, the trouble began in September of 2009, where Randy Quaid and his second wife, Evie, were arrested in Texas after they'd left a hotel in California with an outstanding bill of $10,000 owed for their hotel room stay. In 2010, the couple was arrested again for squatting in the guest house of a home that they once upon a time owned. Then the couple started missing appearances in court, forfeiting all over all of their bail money that totaled a loss well over six figures. And when you're on the run from Johnny Law, there's only two places to go, South to Mexico or North to Canada. And Randy and his bride chose to head to the Great White North to escape the long arm of the US law. Crazy, right? But not weird. This is where it gets weird. The Quades not only fled to Canada to get away from the law, but they also claimed to be on the run from a shadowy cabal that they called the Hollywood Star Whackers. These Hollywood Star Whackers were a group of nefarious characters orchestrating the deaths of select Hollywood celebrities in a scheme to collect royalties off movies and music along with the life insurance that was taken out on these soon-to-be-dead celebrities. Stick with me here, loyal Pick 6 movie listener. We're going down the rabbit hole. According to an in-depth Vanity Fair profile of the Quaid's in 2011, a lot of this Hollywood star whacker theory was inspired by Randy Quaid's wife, Evie, who was a Los Angeles model that Quaid met on the set of Bloodhounds of Broadway, which starred Matt Dillon, Jennifer Grey, and Madonna. Is there anybody that Randy Quaid hasn't worked with in Hollywood? Back to the Hollywood star whacker conspiracy theory. Evie convinced Randy that a small group of well-connected Hollywood star whackers were stealing royalty payments, and this sinister group of evildoers had also tapped into the equity of their $1.35 million home. And it was this unscrupulous group of financial thieves that were the ones that sabotaged the Quaid's bank accounts, and it was most certainly not Randy and Evie's lavish spending at hotels and Beverly Hills fashion boutiques that led to their financial troubles. Randy Quaid and his wife claimed that Heath Ledger, David Carradine, and Chris Penn were three such victims of the Hollywood Star Whackers. And the Quaids were convinced that, along with Britney Spears and Lindsay Lohan, that they were next on the hit list of the Hollywood Star Whackers. Despite all of this personal drama and the legal unpleasantries, Quaid was cast in the role of Falstaff in a stage production of Lone Star Love, an American Civil War set reinterpretation of Shakespeare's The Three Wives of Windsor. But during a performance, Quaid assaulted a fellow cast member, 
while he was in character, according to Mr. Quaid. And his wife, Evie, it turns out, was sending unpleasant emails to the producers of the stage production. And apparently she was also circulating around a naked photo of herself holding a gun. This led to Quaid being fined $81,000. And it also resulted in Randy Quaid receiving a lifetime ban from Equity, the labor union that represents American stage actors. Holding strong to the Hollywood star whacker theory, Quaid said in a 2010 interview, I've had eight friends of mine who have either died mysteriously or had scandals surrounding them in recent years. Quaid said that the Hollywood star whackers, modus operandi, involved manipulating the banking and criminal justice system from within in order to create a scandal or mystery around a celebrity that discredits them. The duo headed back to Canada and Evie was granted Canadian citizenship in 2011 based on her parentage. Randy Quaid sought permanent resident status as the husband of a Canadian, but this request was denied. So the Quaids lived in Montreal starting in 2013 and they were later arrested all but briefly for not checking in as non-residents. A year later in 2014, the twosome sued the US State Department for revoking their passports way back in 2011. Quick side note here, in 2015, Randy Quaid had a real beef with Rupert Murdoch, you know, the Australian-born American media mogul who founded News Corp. It's the parent company of Fox News and 20th Century Fox. Well, Randy Quaid felt that his performances in Independence Day and the Vacation movies helped Rupert Murdoch and his media empire earn well over a billion dollars. And Quaid wanted a piece of that action. Quaid also claimed that Warner Brothers executives stole his house and that the New York Post smeared his name repeatedly and that the movie studios had he and his wife arrested multiple times. I'll bet it was those Hollywood star whackers behind it all. Anyway, Randy Quaid was all worked up over perceived injustices doled out by the one and only Rupert Murdoch. So in retaliation for this insulting behavior to Quaid from Murdoch and others, Randy Quaid's wife, Evie, she put on a mask that was a life-size paper cutout of Rupert Murdoch's face. And Randy Quaid recorded a video of he and his wife in a hotel room well, to quote Mr. Quaid himself from the aforementioned homemade video, Rupert, you want to fuck me, I'm going to fuck you. Whereupon, in the referenced video, Randy Quaid simulated having sex with Rupert Murdoch, but it was really just his wife wearing that paper mask as the famed Australian octogenarian. I'm sure if you want to go poke around the internet, you can find this video here or there. It's probably over there. It's definitely not over here. By 2015, the Quaid's legal appeals in Canada were exhausted and Quaid was set to be deported back to the United States. One week prior to the deportation date, the couple drove across the Canadian border into Vermont where they were detained by U.S. Customs pending an extradition procedure ordered by the state of California. On review of the state of California case, a Vermont judge found irregularities and voided the extradition request. The Quaid's were released and allowed to stay in Vermont. Hooray! Which is where I guess they are now. And you thought that everything you ever wanted to know about Randy Quaid was already in your head when you started this podcast. Well, you are welcome. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Sure, simulated sex between Randy Quaid and a Rupert Murdoch proxy is all well and good, but what I really want to know about is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. And I hate to say it, there's really not a whole lot to tell. The movie premiered on December 20th, 2003 on NBC. That's right. Remember, this is a made-for-TV movie. Obviously, Randy Quaid is in it as the titular Cousin Eddie, and the aforementioned Miriam Flynn reprised her role as his wife Catherine. 
Fun fact, Dana Barron, the original actress to play Audrey Griswold in the very first National Lampoon's Vacation, she returns in this film to fill the shoes of the Griswold daughter once again. Funner fact, Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo politely declined to be in this movie. Shocker. Eric Idle, one of the original members of the collective comedy genius that is Monty Python, well, Eric Idle is slumming it in this movie as the character titled English Victim. You may remember that Eric Idle appeared in European Vacation as the bike rider that kept getting physically abused through unintended consequences of Clark Griswold and family bumbling and stumbling with all of their European misadventures. And you're probably right to assume that this movie contains more of the same. The film was written by Marty Simmons, who produced all of the previous vacation movies. He produced them. He didn't write them. But he wrote this one. Producing? Writing. It's all the same, right? Stephen First, the guy who played Delta House Pledge flounder in National Lampoon's Animal House. He shows up to cash a paycheck. Maybe he owed producer-turned-writer Marty Simmons a favor or two. Roger Bumpus, the guy who voices Squidward on SpongeBob SquarePants, he's in this thing doing something or another. Ed Asner is in this. And just one month prior to this film's TV debut, Ed Asner played Santa Claus in the Will Ferrell holiday film Elf. Ed Asner would, of course, later go on to voice the 78-year-old Carl Fredrickson in the Pixar animated film Up. I only mention Up because it's a really good movie that makes you feel good inside. And the film we're about to discuss is terrible and makes you want to turn it off. How bad is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2 Cousin Eddie's Island <gasps> adventure? Let me read from selected IMDb Random People Reviews. Senior Bestovka says of the film, I knew this would be one of the worst movies I could have ever imagined, but in just 20 short minutes, it actually exceeded my low expectations by being possibly the worst movie I have ever seen. I have already wasted too much time typing about it. Trust me, it sucks. Let's try another. Christmas Reviewer says, This made-for-television film is the worst movie ever made. Elvis 68 says, I was shocked at how bad it was and unable to turn away from the disaster. This made Major League Two and Blues Brothers 2000 Oscar-worthy in comparison. Whoa, it's Blues Brothers 2000 bad? <laughs> Come on, man. I mean, can this movie really be as amazing as these reviews make it out to be? Perhaps there'll be some hidden messages from the Hollywood star whackers in here, you know, providing clues as to who the next victim would be. And you know what? More importantly, how are they going to make a shitter's full reference in a movie that was made for TV? There's just one way to answer all of these questions and many, many more. Ladies and gentlemen, good little girls and good little boys, I give you a bonus Christmas episode of Pick 6 Movies. It is 2003's National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. God bless us, everyone. Oof. <sighs> this is going to be painful. <laughs>
and welcome to a very special bonus holiday episode of Pick 6 Movies. I am Chad Cooper, and I am joined with the holliest, jolliest individual that I know, Mr. Bo Ransdell. Bo, how are you doing on this incredibly exciting, never-before-seen in the history of Pick 6 Movies? It is a festive time, to be sure. Like, not only is it Christmas, and, and people often call me Mr. Christmas. I know that. Uh, there is no better friend to Christmas as... As, as Charles Dickens would say, than than yours truly. They do the finger quotes when they say it. Like here comes Mister Christmas. I, th- I think those are called irony quotes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we somewhat controversially we have gone on record as as disliking the original Christmas Vacation. Oh yes, and so what better way to celebrate uh, the birth of our Lord this year than to trot out the made-for-TV sequel to a movie we already didn't like? There was part of me that thought it can't be worse. I was wrong. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> I mean, what I wouldn't have given for a <laughs> squirrel in the tree or whatever the fuck happens in Christmas Vacation. Just a Brian Doyle Murray sighting would have been just a delight. Is this the worst movie we've ever reviewed? Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is. The, this is barely a movie. This is this is a, a series of bad ideas strung together by the loosest of plots. Let me ask you a question. Is this a Christmas movie? Occasionally, but like it's occasionally all kinds of stuff. Like it's not consistently a Christmas movie. No, there's actually a point in this movie that we'll get to where somebody is like, oh, that's right. It's Christmas. You know, you're like, oh, yeah. For the past half hour, nobody's brought that up. Have you ever heard the argument that a Christmas movie should be classified as a film that could not take place if you remove Christmas from the film itself? So, for example, Die Hard, many people refer to that as a Christmas movie because it takes place at Christmas. But Die Hard could take place at any time of the year and the movie would still exist. Christmas Vacation, you remove Christmas, the movie could not happen. Right. I don't know that I've heard that argument before, but I, that makes perfect sense to me as a a litmus test. If you're going to create a category for such things, then yes. I, but where you're getting to, yes, is that this movie, if you took Christmas out of it, it would not make shit difference. It, it you Basically, you'd be removing three lines of dialogue. But let me ask you this. By that logic, you can remove Christmas from It's a Wonderful Life, and that movie could still take place. Sure, and I don't think it was originally released at Christmas. It was only later that it became associated with Christmas. What about A Christmas Carol? You could take Christmas out of A Christmas Carol, and that entire narrative could occur. Yeah, but I think the idea of being Christmas itself being the central concept of that story is a little harder to remove how about home alone um eh, i mean sure (laughs) (laughs) that's another movie i don't really care for christmas vacation to cousin eddie's island adventure it didn't need to be made at christmas it didn't need to be made period this is one of the more cynical movies I think we've ever covered because it's clearly th- this only exists because somebody had the rights to it and was like, hey, how about we cobble a piece of shit together, throw it on screen and we charge advertisers whatever to get our money back and then some off of the good name of Christmas Vacation. If you've never seen this movie, don't. Don't ever, ever, ever watch this movie. 
our movie opens up and it's nighttime and we're on some studio back lot somewhere and there's a whole bunch of fake snow that's been blown all over the streets. It drives me nuts in movies when there's snow everywhere, but it's not on the bushes or on the houses or on the roof or on the cars. It's just all over the ground. Well, that starts just the general theme in this movie of everything (laughs) looking super cheap. There's Christmas lights on two of the houses in the neighborhood. Right, because you tilt the camera slightly to the left, and it's your tropical neighborhood. I mean, this movie is it is cheaper than like some early Star Trek The Next Generation shit. If there had been Udo comes lumbering out of one of the the homes it would be like yeah this this all feels right we get a title card that says we're in chicago illinois could be anywhere usa but all right i'll play along and we're in chicago because this is what a distant ant twice removed from being an actual john hughes film yeah i wonder if there was any conscious use of of chicago for that reason surely not but it doesn't matter because we're not there very long and there's nothing chicago-esque about this neighborhood no I guess you just got to make the movie start somewhere, you know? (laughs) Why not Chicago? Right. I mean, throw a dart at the board, see what happens. It's Sheboygan. Who cares? This wintry night immediately becomes day. I don't know why. You're going to hear me saying that a lot during this review. And it's here we get some really brilliant opening dialogue. It's no... I believe in America. America has made my fortune, but it's close. Where we see a young girl and a boy walking along these fake snowy neighborhood streets. And the young girl, her name's Paige. Don't bother remembering her name uh, because it's not important. So anyway, uh, what's her name says, so how come you're smart and why do they call you third? Can you give us some exposition to explain this movie, please? Third launches into this Dickensian series of relationships <laughs> that I had to rewind a couple of times where it was like, what the fuck is happening? Third <laughs> is named after his mom's cousin's husband, Clark Griswold. Clark Griswold the second. Right. So he is called third because of that. His brothers and sisters have fucked off to Kansas with their grandmother because of how terrible Eddie is. And his sister in a the setup to a recurring gag question mark in the movie is a stripper in Vegas. So she's not coming home for Christmas. And also he and his parents are house sitting for his cousin Audrey, who's visiting her boyfriend in Indianapolis. And it's this whole labyrinth to explain why nobody wants to be in the same city as this family. Right. There's a lot to unpack here. One thing I want to note, third being named after Clark Griswold, who he's distantly related to, that's not the way this works. Like you can't just name somebody after somebody else and then be like Clark Griswold the third. I'd like you to explain that to my son, Martin Luther King the <laughs> third. He has a dream that people stop fucking with him about his name. Can can I ask you a uh a a question? Yeah. About this film? So this girl, Paige, Mm -hmm. she is way out of his league, right? I thought she was a cop based on all of her questions. (laughs) Right. She's a sleeper agent trying to (laughs) flip him. Um, She is kind of the tall, hot girl from middle school. The one that shot up when everyone else stayed real stumpy and gross. Mm -hmm. And third is, I don't know if he's 
if they're boyfriend girlfriend or if it's just the girl he has a crush on or he carries around an eight by 10 headshot of her later in the film that's weird <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, there's a lot of evidence that suggests that Third may just be a little sociopath. Yeah. As you noted, they are house-sitting for Audrey, who has gone away for, like, I don't know, like a, a few days to Indianapolis to see her boyfriend. But these two kids are, we to assume they're walking home from school, because Third has this big stack of books and binders as he's wearing a backpack. And I'm thinking, if they're house-sitting, why would he be in school there? I have a feeling that for just a couple of credit cards alone, they've been using Audrey's address for a while. <laughs> and that includes getting him enrolled in the, 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 the better educational facilities in the greater Chicagoland area. Yeah. Thank goodness for lax vaccination laws. That got him in under the wire. <laughs> Paige says to third, my dad's a brain surgeon. What does your dad do? This is where... <laughs> third says uh he uh he works in nuclear research and she says is he a nuclear scientist and then third says well not exactly (sighs) cut to third's father who is in fact cousin eddie and he's in this laboratory that looks like he's sitting on the set of a children's game show on nickelodeon And he's wearing this metallic beanie with four colored wires popping out of the top. And there's a chin strap that makes it look more ridiculous. And he looks like a simpleton. It's the Ghostbusters colander, only cheaper and shittier. And the, the, so the gag here is that he looks like a simp. The camera pans slightly to the right and we meet Roy the monkey who is surprisingly critical to this movie. You think more so he pops up more than you would expect. The fact that he showed up more than in this scene was a surprise to me. I think it's one of those things that when they paid for the chimp, it was like, you need the chimp. It's $2,000 a day. And they're like, well, then we're shooting all day long and we're getting as much monkey footage as we can. And we're jamming it in this movie as much as possible. Man, I didn't think about the practicality of that, that there was at least one, if not two, monkey days on the set of this movie. It was one day, Bo. You're probably right. (laughs) So Roy, the monkey, the gag here is that he is uh, reading a scientific American on the subject of evolution. And he's wearing a shirt and pants. He has a V-neck button-down Argyle sweater. He's got a cigar stuck in his mouth. Fred Willard shows up and he's playing a scientist and he's watching cousin Eddie and uh, Roy, the chimpanzee. And he's explaining to this visiting nobody played by Fred Bumpus, the guy who does the voice for Squidward on SpongeBob SquarePants. Science guy, Fred Willard says at this facility, we inject the subjects with nuclear waste to see what happens. And over here, I've sewn three test subjects together, mouth to ass, mouth to ass. We call it the millipede of humans. Still a working title, not a hundred percent sure on that. Uh, we're spitballing human Eddie Pede. <laughs> they cut back over to Eddie, and he's got this clipboard with a piece of paper on it displaying an oversized tic tac toe board. Shall we play a game? Happens every time I see a tic tac toe. I, I know, man. We're like the only way to win is not to play. <laughs> Cousin Eddie has X for the win on this board, Uh, but because he's a moron, he makes his move. 
and does not win. Then he hands the clipboard over to Roy the chimpanzee. And then Roy, you know, makes his mark and he wins the game. And I wanted to ask you both, did you ever go to one of those county fairs or less reputable theme parks where they had one of those chickens that could play tic-tac-toe? Yeah. You remember that? Yeah, of course. You put your money in and then you could press a button and it would let you put your X on the board. And then on the other side, there was this chicken that would tap at what I, as an adult, now realize were food pellets, um, while this primitive, by modern standards, computer program would counter your move, truly independent of any input from said chicken. Right. One time when I was a kid, I went to Opryland, uh, which was in Nashville, and I saw this kid play tic-tac-toe against the chicken, and he lost four times in a row, and even then, I remember looking at this kid thinking, you're a fucking idiot, not for losing, for playing this thing four times in a row. And Senator, that child was me. (laughs) I hate that fucking chicken. This nameless lab visitor says, how's that monkey beating a man at tic-tac-toe? And science guy Fred Willard says, because the monkey is smarter. Cut to opening credits. National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. Let's get this out of the way. Cousin Eddie is an idiot in this movie. I mean the technical medical definition where he is subnormal intelligence in a way that would place him in the handicapped category. He's mentally disabled and in not in a comedic funny way. Right. Like he can't live on his own. No, he can't pay bills there. He wears slip on shoes. His clothing is limited to two outfits. None of which have buttons. I don't think. Yeah. No, when his wife goes, he's going straight into a home. (laughs) And I'm, I'm not saying dies. She may eventually just leave this relationship as she should. (laughs) Because she seems to be at least of normal intelligence. Aside from the, you know, of mice and men-esque quality of this character, we have this opening where Fred Willard is having to sit Cousin Eddie down and explain to him that because of cuts in funding, they've got to cut the study group in half. And Eddie, because again, he's mentally handicapped, is like, well, does that mean we're just going to work till noon? (laughs) And Fred Willard's like, no, you fucking idiot. It means that I've got to choose between you and Roy, the monkey who is currently sitting on a couch like a people in this office. And Eddie kind of leads over. He's like, well, I'm sorry to hear about that, Roy. And Fred Willard is like, no, you fucking grand galactic moron. It's you. We have to fire you. And Cousin Eddie's like, well, how come? He's like, because we have this handy chart here where your brain, the the explanation is his brain waves don't register as distinctly. <laughs> there is not a clear enough brain signal from this thick skulled idiot to place him in a category of intelligence above a chimpanzee. Roy the chimpanzee is sitting on the couch and he's now chewing gum. Like doing the crossword puzzle. and He doesn't have his signature stogie between his lips. And I was guessing that that was Nicorette that he was chomping on just to get him through the afternoon. <laughs> sure, yeah. I can't do this in- indoors anymore, eek eek. Funding was cut, so they got to get rid of one of the two of them. Are, are they paying this monkey? 
One presumes so. I it's cigarettes and whiskey in my in my own mind. Roy has a chimpanzee family back in Africa. He is working in this country to try to get him over. It's a it's a true like heroic immigrant story. You think that monkey ever fucked a football? <laughs> All monkeys do eventually, Chad. Eddie gets fired, and on his way out, uh, science guy Fred Willard says, Hey, Merry Christmas, because remember, this is supposed to be a Christmas movie. So then we go to Audrey's, where Cousin Eddie is staring out the window and just bemoaning the fact that he's been fired. And his wife is like, well, you know, that that was one smart monkey. You gotta hand it to, to Roy. He is smarter than you. And even Third is like, Dad, you fucking suck you are the worst and he explains like it's the sixth job that he's had since the farm foreclosed uh that's how we're marking time in the johnson family is the foreclosures and bankruptcies and repossessions on our way to the flop house and eddie is like family i just gotta say i am real sorry for being just a total shit bag <laughs> and his wife is like though he says total flop because it's a made for tv movie movie and his wife is like well not total and then he just mopes off upstairs and again not looking for a job or anything that could help anybody let me just go upstairs and have a soak make myself feel better about what's happened i think he's waiting for his social worker to show up with a couple of index cards with some new jobs on him that's how he got his monkey job just like can you play tic-tac-toe and eat bananas yes ma'am okay well i've got a job for you you're gonna swing this sign around in front of a discount jewelry place downtown can you spin a sign <laughs> no why is third portrayed as being super smart in this and i know relative to um his other family members he is smart but he's not a super genius he does nothing intelligent in this movie at all he's just kind of a horny 13 year old yeah it's it's a good question, Chad. I don't know, because it, it doesn't matter. Other than, the the only reason it matters is because it gives Third a reason to detest his father. Which, if you're gonna say this movie is about anything, and it's a stretch. If you're gonna say that this movie has a, a recurring story, it is sort of about Third learning to have some kind of respect for his father. Because, as we pointed out at the beginning of this movie, Third looks at his father with thinly veiled disgust <laughs> through the whole first act of this movie and you think that's gone by the end of the film i think it's less i think it goes from disgust to pained tolerance maybe but yeah once he leaves home he's never coming back cut to Catherine and eddie and they're laying in bed at night and they're yammering on and on about who gives a shit and so eddie gets up and decides to go take a bath and it's here we get this sequence of physical activity that is meant to be comedy but it's it's like the worst Mr. Bean sketch you've ever seen. It's awful. It goes on forever. We'll make it short. Eddie goes in to take a bath and he turns on the water and then water starts blasting out of the handles on the tub and he tries to turn it off, but it makes it worse. Then the toilet just starts belching up water. Water starts exploding out of the sink. The bathroom looks like the finale of a water slide. Water is just exploding everywhere. And Eddie calls a 24-hour plumber and gets put on, like, a automated voice phone tree. And I'm not going to describe all the things that happen here that are maybe jokes, but it's just a bunch of weird shit happening. And then the scene just ends with Third getting blasted across the bedroom with a spray of water. And then that scene just ends. 
Yeah, it it really has no resolution. And in fact, later in the movie, it's referenced again, and there's no there's no clear understanding if it ever stops. They reference it two more times. <laughs> so after this hilarious comedy of errors with the plumbing in this place eddie goes for his <laughs> severance check and for no good reason there's just a sexy assistant named jennifer feeding roy mm-hmm. and then while he's getting the severance check eddie asks fred willard for his job back while the whole time roy is just humming grapes at his noggin <laughs> just fucking with him like yeah, that's right i got this job you fucking idiot and Eddie, who I guess didn't get breakfast, is just like, oh, grapes. Uh, don't want those to go to waste. And he gets down on all fours to look around for the grape. And our chimpanzee, Roy, just lunges off of this chair and bites Eddie on his ass. It's the equivalent of when we did Planet of the Apes, which you may recall, when the the super smart Planet of the Apes monkeys monkey mm-hmm. out for a second you know we're like in the middle of a conversation they just give you a ooh, ooh, ooh. it's kind of like that where roy's just kind of chilling on the couch for a second and then just goes all chimpanzee on him and bites him in the ass like jaws if the whole movie were the adventures of eddie and roy maybe you got something maybe that's the third one that's coming oh god this is really kind of the film's inciting incident would you not agree yeah it's that moment that hooks the audience into the story you know it kind of thrusts our protagonist into the the narrative of our film as screenwriting guru sid field described it as setting the story in motion kind of follows that joseph campbell hero's journey you know it was the adventure this is where we're going it's uh princess leia you know getting that message in star wars You know, here it's Eddie getting bit on the ass by a chimpanzee named Roy. Yeah. Yeah, it's high art for sure. And so Stephen first shows up and surprises everyone by not being enormously fat in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) And says uh, that Eddie, who is ass up in his office, is fine because the nuclear waste has given him super healing powers. And basically, he was not really hurt at all. But... Uh, a very disturbingly thin Stephen first says he has a hell of a lawsuit on his hands. <laughs> and Fred Willer is like, look, this guy is a fucking idiot. There is no way he is going to outmaneuver us on this one. So we'll think of something immediately <laughs> explaining the title of the movie. <laughs> While Eddie in the background just moans with his ass up in the air. This is, this is what we're dealing with. This is the movie we have before us. <laughs> We cut back to the house and we see Catherine who exposits out loud to cousin Eddie an all expense paid Christmas vacation to a Pacific Island. And I was like, are they going to Hawaii? Why wouldn't they say that? Yeah. I mean, do you have to pay royalties to Hawaii just if you invoke their (laughs) name? Uh, Because that would explain it. They sent the script to Hawaii and they're like, nope. Hawaii as a state sent them a, a cease and desist. No, thank you. Delivered by The Rock, no doubt. And Barack Obama. And he's just like, nope. Third calls out his dad for being a loser here. And he's like, you didn't get your job back. They, they kept the monkey. Dad, you lost a job where you and a monkey were the only ones who applied. This is just another disaster, dad. And then third goes on to say, this is worse when you had to stop being a mail order dentist after you stapled the mayor's mouth together. 
are we to assume that this really happened? I mean, the smart kid said it happened. Why would he lie to us, the audience? Also, if it's mail-order dentistry, how would Eddie have directly done anything to the mayor? there, there are so many moments in this film that the writing feels like it's trying to be a joke, but it's just an absurd premise that's not funny. Like, it would be like, hey, it's like that time you pretended to be a door, but your pockets were full of cheese. <laughs> or You remember that time you glued your hands to your stomach and listened to Prairie Home Companion? What is what what are, what are we talking about here? It's like a five year old trying to explain an episode of Family Guy. <laughs> no, that would be better than this. Well, it would be more entertaining. But yeah, it it's just nonsense some of the uh, some of the time. Like there's one we'll get to later that's just like, what in the ever living fuck? There's a joke about picking up a rock and you're like, I don't even understand this. But anyway, so third is like, hey, I'm I want to stay with Audrey and Paige. You guys can go the fuck to your tropical getaway. Uh, non-Hawaiian Wait, tropical. Who the getaway. hell is Paige? Right. Uh, and even in my notes, it's like, I, I think that's the girl from earlier. <laughs> and and also the way he says, I want to stay with Ann Audrey and Paige is real creepy. It's like, oh, kid, I think your problems run deeper than your stupid father. I think he imagines Paige. I don't think she's a real person. I think it's a real fight club type of relationship. <laughs> I was going more like the dog talking to Richard Ramirez. <laughs> what should I do to my family, Paige? Huh. I hadn't thought about using them as uh, lampshades until just now, but now that you say it, it makes a lot of sense. Also, that would explain how uh, they end up walking home from school together because there is no school, Chad. Yeah, it all makes sense. There's no school. There's no page. Hell, there's no books. He's not smart. He's mentally ill. <laughs> right. It's the unreliable narrator. He's the, the smart psychopath. You know what? This truly makes him Clark Griswold Third. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> a real sociopath and, and at the head of a family. Because um, clearly Eddie is not the alpha male in this household. <laughs> like third is running that show every time because it is i think we ought to have meatloaf tonight Third's like fuck you you dumb son of a bitch mom we're having chicken right okay all right all right mm, I, I found a grape on the floor earlier today i'll sh- snack on that just smacks out of his hand you'll have nothing <laughs> not until you get smarter you embarrassing piece of shit about this time audrey comes in and she says Catherine, cousin eddie I'm going to kill myself. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Audrey has two speeds in this movie. It is suicidal and as wet as the Everglades. That is it. (laughs) And this is suicidal Audrey, where she even says, I'm going to kill myself because my boyfriend broke up with me. That or I'm going to eat lots of ice cream. And he's like, well, you know, I'd go with that ice cream thing. You could kill yourself by eating a lot of ice cream. If you eat too much of it. I mean, over time. That fat guy in Seven, he died from eating a whole bunch of spaghetti. I mean, it had metal shards in it, but it did him in. You know, the holiday months actually have some of the lowest suicide rates, according to information from the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. November and December are actually the two lowest months, 12th and 11th, respectively. January is 9th, and the average daily rates of suicide actually peak in the spring and summer months, with the highest suicide rates being in May, July, and March. Boy, one more reason to really hate the movie Mixed Nuts. (laughs) 
<laughs> Factually and statistically <laughs> inaccurate and also incredibly disappointing. Audrey, she got dumped by her boyfriend. And uh, as noted, her performance is kind of on the same level that you would expect from a high school production of Steel Magnolias. It's just a manic mess. And you can see why (laughs) the actress who plays Audrey, Dana Barron, is in this film because she's a lovely woman and I'm sure she's a delight to be around, but her acting skills are, well, not very good. I, I mean, it's hard to really tell in this because her character is so thinly written. And I mean, she's playing it very histrionically, but also kind of what else do you do with it? But yeah, yeah, I mean, nobody in this movie is coming off smelling like roses, let's be honest. (laughs) Everybody feels like they're kind of half-assing it at best. She also demands, like, you know, in light of everything that's happened with Eddie, she's like, could you imagine anything so terrible happening right before Christmas as your boyfriend breaking up with you? You know, Catherine gives her a big hug, and there are moments in this movie that kind of flirt with like oh is this going to be about this uncommon family that kind of loves one another despite anything no and then you quickly realize like this movie isn't about anything there is more of a plot and stronger character development in police academy four five and six i think it's important to make the distinction here between plot like narrative structure and just and shit shit, happening right and just shit that happens in a movie Because that's not a plot. That's just like, so we started off with this testing thing. So we have that joke. Then we're moving on now to the, hey, we're doing this island getaway story. Yeah, Audrey's going to go with them. They're like, hey, you can come with us. We're going on a Christmas vacation to a Pacific Island. That's not Hawaii. And Audrey also details like all the things that she and her boyfriend had in common. And that that it turns out he was married, which uh, we'll see is kind of a, a running theme and kind of the gag of Audrey. Like, oh, I just, men, you know, I pick all these bad men. So there's a scene where Audrey and Catherine are shoveling, snow shoveling the driveway. Mm-hmm. And Audrey is just kind of standing there talking while Catherine's really doing all of the shoveling. And she's like, I really need all this total relaxation. And Catherine's like, well, Eddie does too, you know, well, with losing his job and all. So then we're intercutting that with Eddie inside, who is eating a sandwich and saying, you know, this trip's going to be real good for us. And he's trying to play fetch with their dog, Snots, by throwing tennis balls and, and saying, like, go get it, boy. And the dog not moving, just laying there like a lump. Yeah. The dog's back from the original Christmas vacation. That's nice, right? I, I mean, but is it mathematically feasible? It's totally not. And better yet, it's a good-looking Rottweiler. Like, his coat is really clean. Like, you can tell this is, like, a legit professional dog. And he looks embarrassed to be in this movie. He should wear a suit. <laughs> just put all the animals in suits in this movie. That it better so audrey is asking if nuclear waste has ever affected eddie and Catherine's like well it turned his uh the plate in his head into quite a bug zapper which immediately pays off like this movie doesn't have an ounce of restraint where it's like well let's set this up and then a few minutes later we'll pay off this gag oh no well they assume people are going to be changing the channel shortly right let's get this gag in before people can hit the up button on the remote <laughs> Back outside, Catherine and Audrey, they're chit-chatting away, and Catherine admits that Third is their perfect child, and all their other kids are fucked up and take after Eddie. Catherine feels like one of those people who defines a sad day as when she just lies awake and thinks of things that might have been. And then 
Eddie's inside in his wife beater and his sweatpants and he takes a piece of roast beef from his sandwich and throws it at the Christmas tree and Snot the dog finally gets up and lunges into the tree and off screen we hear a crash in that scene fade to black when commercials would play and allow people to again change the channel and never return to the rest of this movie after the gut busting off screen dog tackling a Christmas tree because you know what's funnier than nothing anything (laughs) we fade back into our movie and audrey goes and answers the door to find ed asner in a santa coat and ed asner comes in and he says that he wants to come in and die i'm like "Hmm." a lot of discussion of holiday death and it turns out that ed asner's wife ran off with a young christmas tree delivery guy and ed asner is their uncle and he says i'm gonna i'm gonna spend christmas with you And Eddie says, well, we're headed on a Christmas vacation to a Pacific Island. And Audrey's coming with us and Snot's the dog. And uh, also, Daniel was married. And this is the only moment in this film that I truly laughed out loud. And it was when Ed Asner turned to Audrey and he says, Daniel? Who's Daniel? I don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I sympathized (laughs) with him, at least. I like that he showed a little modicum of interest and then immediately was just like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> right, like, who are we kidding? <laughs> don't bother. I'm not going to listen. This is also because I just liked Ed Asner. And then the rest of the movie, I just, whenever he was talking and on screen, I just unconsciously shifted my head from left to right in disapproval. Yeah, his character is disgusting in a way that's like goes beyond ever being fun so it's the next day yeah so the taxi arrives everybody's ready to go mm-hmm. there's some uh bit about eddie fitting his luggage in the trunk it's one of those jo- those jokes in the movie that's not really a joke it's just like oh he's stuffing his bag in there and then he does right i don't understand this movie sometimes sometimes i don't understand it at all well so he climbs in the car they get snots in there and he starts farting in this crowded car And then the cab pulls away and there are two or three bags of luggage left in the snow as they drive away. And you're like, well, but that's going to be important later. It's not. Yeah. I just don't understand. Well, whose bags were they? What was that? The joke? I, I, well, following this scene inexplicably, remember earlier when we talked about all that water spraying in the bathroom, we're now what, what, three days later, two days later. Yeah. Suddenly, in this two-story brick home, all three of the windows on the top floor just explode and water just starts blowing out with fountains just streaming onto the street below. There is no setup for this joke because we don't know if the water has been pouring since we first saw it go nuts. But if that were the case, why would Audrey not be freaking out about her home being constantly flooded? Nobody noticed this? (laughs) I don't mean in the movie. I'm in on the film's crew. Nobody noticed that plot twist and was like, this makes no goddamn sense. Right. Like the gag would be, hey, we temporarily fixed this because we couldn't get hold of the plumber. And it's all held together with just, you know, spit and tape. And then as soon as they leave, it all explodes. We're now in a post 9-11 airport. Because remember, this came out in 2004. And it was about this time people were just getting used to taking their shoes off. And in this scene, we see a woman and she's holding a baby doll that I guess is supposed to be a real baby. And she's holding baby shoes in her hand. Again, I was like, is this a joke? Is she just confused about what shoes have to come off versus not? Or maybe she's a crazy person and she carries around a plastic baby and treats it like a real baby. Maybe she knew Cousin Eddie down at the rec center when they show up and have exercise time. 
Maybe it's like a mom version of that Lars and the Real Girl movie. Did you ever see that movie? I did. It was surprisingly heartwarming. That was about a guy who fucks a piece of plastic shaped like a woman. Yes, but was surprisingly heartwarming. How many days does it take before that thing really turns ripe? You walk in the room and you're just like, who? Well, I think it's, uh, this is all about attention to detail, Chad. I think it matters how often you're cleaning it and what with. <laughs> um, I Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're just pumping and dumping and not cleaning out the nozzles, <laughs> eventually, that thing is going to get real stinky. That's going to become the, the central odor of your home. I, I can speak from some experience. So we're in the airport, and Eddie is carrying Snots the dog in his arms, and the dog is farting so much that people just clear the path for Eddie. And then we see a security guard dressed like Santa Claus walking around holding a bowling ball up in the air saying, Did someone lose a bowling ball? This whole movie is a disassociated random sequence of nonsense that just feels like a bad dream. All right, so there's the bully ball joke, and then at the end of the scene, he goes by and says, what about this? Did anybody lose this? And he's holding a prosthetic leg, which is great because you know the old saying about comedy coming in twos, Chad. <laughs> <laughs> then Eric Idle shows up, and... He gets smacked on the back by Cousin Eddie's luggage and pushed into the like the luggage x-ray machine. And I felt so bad for Eric Idle oh, being in this movie. It's so sad, man. He And it looks like even he knows how terrible all this is. It's just like, yeah, what is it you need me to say? Okay. It's, it's a half-hearted performance from Eric Idle. Yeah, it's it, I-D-L-E. Just spell it correctly on the check and thank you. Ka-clunk. <laughs> yeah like there's a clear stuntman moment too where like eddie knocks over eric idle or knocks him through the uh, the scanner and he eric idle goes through and so does uncle eddie it's just a big mess and like if this really happened tsa would shut the whole fucking place down until they got it all sorted out but right anyway everybody's rushing through the scanners now alarms are going off eric idle is coming through the scanner then he gets up and there's uh, an exchange between randy quaid and Eric Idle, where both of them feel like they are looking at clocks over each other's shoulders to see how long it is before lunch. Where it's just like, hey, you talk funny. He's like, oh, yes, I'm English. You know, we did invent the language. And he's like, hey, that's great. Um, is that enough? Do you need to keep going? <laughs> it's awful. Who do you think got paid more, Roy the Chimp or Eric Idle? Oh, Eric Idle. You think? Yeah. I think they both just got scale for the day. If Eric Idle was in town and they were like, hey, just come by for like 45 minutes. <laughs> if that. We'll pay you for the full day. And so the plane takes off and Eddie is an idiot and he says a bunch of stupid shit when he's sitting on the plane. And then the lady comes by with a bowl full of packaged, you know, peanuts. And he just grabs a fistful of them. He's like, oh, lunch. Ed Asner is sitting next to this strange woman. And Ed Asner is like he's asleep or he's faking asleep. And he just tosses his left hand over and puts it right on the inner thigh of this woman. Yes. Thus beginning Ed Asner's spate of sexual assaults that will occur throughout this movie. It's shocking. It, it is a lot of sexual assault from Ed Asner. It's, it really is. This is not just like, you know, being over overly sensitive about something like this. Like, this character is a monster. <laughs> 
Third's mouthing off facts to his dad about the Pacific Ocean as the plane is flying. And Eddie struggles with this peanut package so much that he slams the seat in front of him. And Eric Idle, it turns out, is the guy in the the, the row up front. And he gets knocked over and it, it doesn't matter. And then we cut back to Ed Asner and the woman who he molested earlier has now piled up blankets and coats on top of this old man's face. And she looks very full of herself. So good for her to for sticking it to this old man. And then the plane lands and we're in Hawaii or wherever the hell we're supposed to be. As they arrive, everybody gets a lay around their neck as they do when you land in Hawaii. So TV and movies have told me they're giving everyone a kiss on the cheek from these lovely women. And the woman in the like the luau skirt who puts the lay around Ed Asner's neck, she is immediately the recipient of sexual assault as Ed Asner just grabs her and he just starts violently kissing her. Yeah. Well, and she resists, and this is where Cousin Eddie becomes an enabler in this situation, mm-hmm. because the one who greeted him, as he like leaves her, he tells Ed Asner, hey, this one's willing. Oh. Ed Asner's famous, Bo. He's just automatically attracted to, he just, he starts kissing them. He's like a magnet. He just kisses. He doesn't even wait. You know, when you're a star, they just let you do it. You can do anything. You can grab him by the pussy. You can do anything. He's Ed Asner, for God's sake, Bo. Oh, my God. (laughs) Snots is being held uh, in, like, customs or something because he smells so bad. Again, this happens off screen. There's, like, a cutaway joke there that could actually be funny. Maybe they made a funnier film, and then they fired the editor, and he was like, you know what? I'm going to go through, and I'm going to cut out every joke, every funny moment, and just stitch it back together, and here you go. The editing is really shitty in this movie. I didn't want to nitpick about the technical details too much because (laughs) the plot and acting and all that is just the shittiest. But that scene that you mentioned with the the woman who throws the coat over Ed Asner on the plane, the way that that little moment rolls is she looks over at Ed Asner and looks kind of self-satisfied. And then she looks back over at Ed Asner and then looks back looking self-satisfied. And it's like, you know what? You just needed one of those. Like I said, it's a small detail, but it's one of those things where you're like, nobody gave a shit. Maybe it was just like, hey, we're running out of uh, running out of actual movie to air because we have a time to fill. So we got to pad a little bit of this. So if we do an extra, you know, spit take from someone, hey, that's fine because we got an hour and 22 minutes to get to. <laughs> Despite the fact that it feels painfully long, this movie is under 90 minutes, but Jesus Christ, the the number of times I had to walk away from it and just be like, all right, hang on, what what just happened? Ed Asner's, okay, he's groping the flower girls and everyone seems cool with it. Um <laughs> But so, and, and then we go immediately from that to the introduction of the character of Mickey, who is sort of their tour guide, as hired by the Atomic Energy Company or whatever uh, the name of the company is. Yeah, she works for the company. Remember at the end, she's in a lab coat or something. Yeah, and so she's there as a corporate chill to be like, "Hey, I'm ma- I'm here to make sure you have a good time and don't pursue a lawsuit against this company." One presumes Eddie is so transfixed by the fact that this bikini-clad beauty is in front of her that he starts kissing her until she has to force him off and then he introduces the rest of the family and like son like father ed asner immediately attacks her too Uh uh-huh 
And I mean, just stares at her tits through the entire scene. This man was Lou Grant, for God's sake, Bo. It is so beneath him as an actor. But more than that, just the direction of like, no, no. If your eyes get above 45 degrees, you have fucked up. I need them right there on her nipples. Yeah, he bends over and and just like stares at her breast like he's peeking through a mail slot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It would be like he stares at her tits the way you you do when you see an animal that could be a groundhog or maybe a hedgehog and you don't know what the fuck it is, but you needed to give it a good (laughs) look-see to see if you can puzzle it out. That's the look he's giving her. Do you remember that time I called you when I was in college and I was taking this Spanish class? They asked us to go around the room and... We had to tell the entire class what our favorite TV show was and why. And if you didn't know how to say something in Spanish, you would say, como se dice. And then the teacher would kind of help you out with your Spanish. And I remember I called you up and I and I told you the story. And I said, um, I said uh, they came to me. What I said was, mi programa de televisión favorito es Thunder Alley. Porque Ed Asner, como se dice, is a real hoot. Yes, I do remember this. Thunder Alley was that short-lived spinoff of the wildly popular home improvement show starring current conservative comedian and convicted cocaine salesman Tim Allen, star of the Santa Claus season four, episode four of Pick Six Movies. Well played. Always brand centric. I like that. So after Ed Asner gets a, a grope of Mickey, we fade to black for a commercial break that, as far as I'm concerned, could go on forever. Um, <laughs> so they're at the Maluka Grand Excelsior Palace, which is where uh, Mickey has taken them. And the exterior is just like the suburban neighborhood from earlier, I think, mm-hmm. with just some palm trees in front. I think you like it's the same backlot street from the Werner brothers lot or some shit it it's it's really sad hi uh <laughs> yeah uh we got basically we got two panels uh we, we got your city street and we got your suburban street if you want to use them both i got a chimpanzee in a cage over there you can have for the day <laughs> cash oh <laughs> you got it i love dealing with you nbc types so they uh, they end up having this big or like Mickey tells them like I got this uh, this whole day of activities planned for you you're gonna love it part of it includes having this big meal on the beach which is basically just having a a picnic in the sand which right. it sounds great but it's they eat ribs a bunch of fried food and a bunch of other you know white trash delicacies can you imagine trying to eat ribs on the beach what kind of nightmare would this be i don't know and anyway so they see this seaplane buzzing some of the sunbathers and mickey says that's melbourne jack and who immediately shows up (laughs) he's aussie jack aussie jack whatever melbourne jack is the guy on the other side of the island there's no melbourne jack whatever so aussie jack (laughs) I gave the movie almost more credit for like getting specific to a city. It's just like, no, he's just Australian. He comes from Australia. That's Crocodile Barney. <laughs> yeah, that's not a script. She says he flies a seaplane and he owns a hotel on a private island. He's a great guy in that scene. And you're like, oh, well, I'm sure that's going to matter later. And it doesn't. Almost. There is some exposition there that is valuable. Immediately, as if parking a seaplane and getting to shore is about a two-minute proposition, Aussie Jack just rolls up on this 
outdoor picnic. Well, he just parallel parks it, and then, you know, he's out. <laughs> yeah. Steps right onto the sand. He just shows up to kind of get horny with Mickey for a second. And Audrey, as soon as she sees this guy, the spigots start, and she's just like, a man! <laughs> like, she's one of those Looney Tunes roosters or uh, chickens or something. He's dressed up like Dennis Hopper from uh, Easy Rider. Right. He's got the the tassel jacket and the hat. Oh, man. If only this ended with Aussie Jack getting (laughs) shotgunned. With Cousin Eddie on a chopper. That'd be awesome. Doesn't happen. Yeah, but Audrey's just like, oh, ma, look at you with your big muscles and your big fat wallet. Would you like to take me on a a tour of your naked body? Oh, ma. She wants to fuck him so bad in this movie, and it never stops. And he's not a super handsome buff guy. He's just like a dude. He kind of looks like a dad or something eddie is wearing very tight speedos and introduces aussie jack to the whole family those two pieces of information aren't necessarily related they were just the most interesting things happening in the scene (laughs) and then ed asner is asleep the whole time third is falling out of a hammock (laughs) what's my motivation for this scene well you see ed your character is tired and there's no one around here for you to molest no no like that and uh you're gonna lay over here with a, a chinette plate We sprung for the good stuff with some ribs and a piece of chicken, and you can just nap. All right. Getting better and better. (laughs) Wake me up when the check clears. Snot the dogs comes over and takes a piss on the fire that they have and puts it out. Yeah. And you're like, why did that happen? Is a dog pissing funny? A dog shitting's funny. I don't think a dog pissing is funny unless it's pissing on a person. But in this case, it's just pissing on a fire. And it's like, wow, this dog is quite clever. He's serving purpose. He's the most useful member of the family. <laughs> Meanwhile, Audrey insists that Jack take her on a tour of her vagina. Mickey announces that it's time for the boat ride uh, for everybody. And that, uh, like you said, somebody has to put out the fire and there goes uh, snots. And then they all head to a boat. Mm-hmm. And here is where the movie may be the best example of why this is such a subpar version of an already dumb thing. He is saying that he needs to use the pooper uh, pretty soon because of the, the eel he ate or whatever. Whatever. And it's like the one thing that Cousin Eddie is known for is using the word shitter. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the word pooper comes out of his mouth in this movie tells you everything that's wrong with it. I didn't even catch that. I, it was one of those things where it's like, oh, right. This is a pale, pale imitation of a thing that already wasn't great. They go get on this boat and the captain's not there. This is one of the top three dumbest things in this movie i can't wait to hear what number one and two are but go ahead (laughs) the note says the captain's baby is coming so he can't take him out today but he left the keys in case somebody knows how to drive a boat They're on island time, man. I guess so. I mean, I wouldn't leave my car keys for somebody, (laughs) much less, hey, here's the way I make my livelihood. I'm going to give you the keys to a golf cart, let alone a boat. No shit, man. And so they're like, oh, well, I guess we're not going to go out because we're all going to be honest and totally above board about this and not just take a free boat. Get out of the way. I'm Ed Asner. I can drive a goddamn boat. I was probably in the Navy. Look at me. I look like a a barrel with a bunch of white fur strapped to it. So they all get on the boat. And then we get a title card that says, 
one hour later. And everybody's on the boat and they all look tired, like, because well, they haven't gone anywhere. And we see Ed Asner and he's at the wheel of the boat and he just looks over. He's like, oh, here are the keys. And then he puts it in and turns it and the boat starts. Yeah. It's mind boggling. It's none of this makes any sense. Wait, let me tell you what doesn't make sense. The next thing is, oh, we've got the boat started. Let's take off. Oh, it's still tied to the dock. Mm -hmm. So he tells Eddie, get out there and untie the boat. Oh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. And so he does, and the boat takes off, and you see like a POV shot from the back of the boat as Eddie is standing alone on the pier. Hey, you're leaving me. Right. (laughs) Cut to Eddie on the boat, and you're like, what? What? Did he teleport? Like, the little attention to detail that's being paid in this movie. We care way more about this movie being stitched together in a reasonable way than anybody making this movie ever did. I think we are talking about this movie more than anyone in the history of ever has talked about this movie. That's why we're going four hours straight, folks. Buckle the fuck in. (laughs) Five minutes of Benny Hill has more jokes in it that land compared to this entire film. Speaking of Benny Hill, cut to tits, where on the boat, Ed Asner and Third are just staring out the window as, let's point out, Third's cousin and the woman who is their tour guide sunbathe on the bow of this ship. Mm -hmm. And we'll get back to this, but this is the first time that these two people separated by a generation are almost at the point of jerking off in each other's company. Yeah. Eddie's fishing and he lands a shark that starts pulling the boat backward. All of these boat sequences look like really bad green screen special effects from a Saturday Night Live sketch. And they're getting pulled backward by the shark. And third gets so upset that he just grabs Mickey and just sticks his face right in her breasts. Yep. I mean, like you do. Meanwhile, Eddie is calling for a knife to cut the line when he could just say, let go of the fishing pole. Right. But uh, anyway, so third tells Ed Asner to get his mind off tits long enough to put the boat in Ford. Mm -hmm. And he does. And then the line breaks and everybody kind of celebrates for no reason that I can think of. When the line breaks and the boat, I guess it what? It crashes into some rocks. Yeah. And then Ed Asner falls on the ground and grabs Mickey's breasts. Yes. To which she says, hey, Uncle Ed Asner, get your hand off my tits. She does. She's, will you get your hand off my breast is the exact line. And the way that she delivers this line suggests that there have been more than one take of this scene. And Ed Asner maybe got a little fresh. <laughs> Can you imagine what it must be like to be this poor woman in this film as an actress putting up with this stupid shit? It's just... It is a ridiculous scenario in the context of the movie. For all the women listening, we apologize for men everywhere for their horrible misogynistic behavior. Well, we were, hold on. We apologize for men everywhere except for the current president of the United States because he apologizes for nothing. That's right. Sex with porn stars while his wife is at home with their four month old son. No apology. Saying that Ted Cruz has a wife less attractive than his own wife? No apology. Saying that Carly Fiorina wouldn't be president because of her face? No apology. We can't apologize for the president, but for every other man out there, we sincerely 
apologize for how terrible each and every one of us are. Did that sound sincere? Uh, you know, enough. I think the broads will buy it. <laughs> so, so we're on a shipwreck boat. Yeah. And Eddie is going to go swim to the shore, but not before mangling Mickey's name with what is really a racist combination of words that are clearly not her name. He's like, hey, Muka Maka Miki Muka or something like this. This, again, if we're going to buy into the theory that he is, he is of substandard intelligence, he doesn't understand this, Chad. He doesn't know that these words are hurtful. <laughs> I don't feel like we have to buy into the theory. I think that just is. Also in this scene, in a surprising move where they explain something, uh, somebody on the boat is like, what smells like shit? Oh yeah, the dog's here. As opposed to just having the dog appear on the island, which would have been the expected move in Christmas Vacation too. Do you think that Eddie, if he's mentally disabled and that's the reality of this universe, it really makes all of the funny scenes in the original Christmas Vacation and the other sequels that he's in much more sober yeah i can't wait to watch christmas vacation now through the lens that cousin eddie is a mentally disabled adult man if you look at it through that prism then the when they go to visit his home in the first vacation movie <laughs> this description of a mentally handicapped father figure having potential <laughs> romantic relations with his own daughter like you're getting into first season of true detective territory of depravity you know the other equivalent would be that episode of the x-files where they find the inbred family of cannibals the one that like fox was like we can only show this one once this is fucked up so eddie then is like oh, you know what family i'm gonna swim to that cg island over there that island is shockingly shitty it's total garbage it's a playstation 2 cutscene where you are being <laughs> dropped onto an island where you are going to like kill natives or something and eddie says like i'm gonna swim over to that island i'm gonna save us all and he jumps in the water and dives in head first and then comically is buried feet up in the sand because it turns out the water is not that deep but again that's not funny at all through the lens of him being a special needs adult at that point the other functioning adults jump into the water to save him because he will drown <laughs> sure you know here's how this movie is not made better but maybe more tolerable or more understandable in a way this entire movie needed to be animated and <laughs> and if you had made that one change that all these stupid jokes and non sequitur gags would somehow make a little bit more sense would that include all of the sexual assault from Uncle Ed Asner? Oh, sure. Like you do those like comically big Ralph Bakshi tits and Ed Asner, the animated animated Ed Asner, just like googly wolf eyeing at him and stuff. Sure. it's it, it doesn't make it better. It makes it more tolerable. That's That was my standard. It, it doesn't make it worse mm. because that's impossible. Yeah, because as we've said, this is the worst thing we've ever done. And and hopefully will be. I would not want to go through a movie worse than this one again. So the whole cast makes their way to the island. While they're walking on shore, Oh Come All Ye Faithful begins to play to remind us that this is a Christmas movie. Yeah, and I don't think the characters themselves comment on anything Christmas related. A little bit later they do. They talk about when it's Christmas Day. They bring up a few things, none of which involve Jesus, but why would they drag him into this? As they 
head on shore off in the distance the boat drifts away and uncle ed asner turns around and is like hey which one of you assholes wait well, didn't say that he says hey which one of you anchor holes forgot to you know secure the boat and it's like well you're the captain and that your job and he's like i grumble grumble where's some tits <laughs> and then on shore Catherine inventories what they have to eat and what they have is like a six pack of beer some bourbon tootsie rolls cocktail weenies and a couple of boxes of hamburger helper yep again all of this feels like the trappings of a joke but th- nothing about this is funny right there's no payoff to it there's no punchline to any of it mickey comes running out of the brush and she says hey i found a freshwater spring and bananas and we can make fishing rods to catch food and i found a great place for a campsite and i guess the point here is once again eddie is worthless like in the eyes of his son and everyone around him it's just like eddie will you come with us please now okay we think we found a place to stay tonight oh all right but he's he's mentally disabled you you it's kind of insensitive to say that he's worthless he staggers into this campsite ed asner goes over and he molests mickey just like throws his arm around her pulls it in close and he's like hey i'm all set i know who i'm gonna bunk with tonight <laughs> and then mickey swallows the vomit that just involuntarily rose up to her mouth and she's like i'm gonna bunk with audrey and then ed asner is like sexy i'll watch <laughs> and and so later that night eddie is snuggling snots and there's a joke question mark where his bug zapper skull is buzzing a bunch of bugs swarming around him and then that's it i'll bet his head zapping skull plate that kills the bugs i'll bet that that's gonna help them get off the island or have a payoff later in the movie now that we've brought it up twice yeah um sure you would think so chad in any rational movie but we're in the upside down here we're black as white it's it's never brought up again after this it is never a thing again (laughs) we cut to eddie and he's up on top of this island's high point and he tries to make a fire by rubbing sticks together and then he just is like oh yeah i got a match and he pulls it out and he he lights a fire on top of the mountain and then he does this funky chicken walk like an egyptian jig around the fire and then we just cut back to the campsite down on sea level and they have a fire there and i'm like well why did eddie go to the top of the mountain to make the fire is that a signal fire that's what it is because later they break it up again they're like oh he must have seen the fire it's like oh no one ever said that's what that was (laughs) so i never thought about it again ed asner comes out of the bushes and he says that felt good when you get to me i my age a good dump is one of the greatest pleasures in life Ed Asner, National Treasure Ed Asner, doing nothing but talk about shitting and fucking throughout this movie (laughs) in a way that is unsettling. Eddie and Third and Ed Asner then decide they're going to go hunting through the jungle. Eddie is like, you know, we need to split up so we can find us some food. Ed Asner goes with them. Remember, because he grabs that banana, because he's probably got a sequel to that Mondo Duke he dropped earlier. Needs a little banana peel to tidy up backstage when he's done. Would that really help, though? That just feels... Desperate times call for desperate measures. Fair enough. Yeah. If I was on a deserted island and I took a shit, I would just go out in the ocean and just wash myself clean. Yeah, I think I would shit right there in the water. It handles the smell, it handles the cleanup, and it handles the washing. Yeah, like 50 billion fish do it every day. Why not me? Or am I, what, is a fish better than me, Chad? Fuck them. I'll shit in the ocean, too. I'll punch a fish in the face. We recently went to the beach and uh, saw a human shit floating in the water. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're gonna see a little du- a little duke in the water 
my wife saw it and she came up and she was like, hey, I think there's shit over here. And my son was like, really? Let's go see. Splash, splash, splash. Yeah, that's shit. You must have been so proud. And then they came and got me and they're like, hey, we found turd. And I was like, really? Let's go look. Splash, splash, splash. Like, I'll be damned. There is shit. Hey, family, let's never get in the ocean again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So here's the sweet part of this story in my mind. What, my shit story or the movie? The shit story. Oh. No, the movie has nothing sentimental about it. It's that your family both loved you enough and recognized who you are enough Mm -hmm. to be like, hey, here's some human shit. You know who would love to see this? Dad. (laughs) It's like I am sure that they have the same reaction that I do when I see a dog taking a shit where I'm like, you know who would love this? Chad. Talking with my family after the fact, I asked them, was there at any point you thought this was my shit? And they both said, we kind of thought that, but you weren't swimming over in that part of the water. So we knew it wasn't you. <laughs> but the fact that you weren't immediately off the suspect list. No. Uh, let's bring in the usual suspects here. <laughs> nah, I didn't fucking shit in that water. What did he say? <laughs> nah, I didn't shit in that fucking water, man. Eddie and Third, they have these whittled spears and they're going off to hunt and kill something to eat. And Eddie's wearing this white button down shirt and he's got that fake turtleneck that he had on in the original Christmas Vacation under it. And he's wearing these super short white shorts and he's got black socks and white slip on loafers. And so off Eddie runs to go hunt for animals on this island. And then Third just makes his way off in a different direction with his spear. And it's here that Third comes across Mickey swimming naked in a spring with a waterfall behind it, like you've seen in every movie ever with a pretty woman who needs to take a bath on an island. Mm -hmm. And third gets a shot of side boob and he just starts moaning, oh God, oh God, oh oh God. And then as he's sort of peeking his teenage arousal third looks over to the right and in the bushes he makes eye contact with uncle ed asner that's right jerking off with grandpa again this kid has his first full-on erection and it was interrupted by eye contact with his geriatric uncle Uh uh-huh that's a real memorable boner Paige's head is going to end up in a freezer. Do you have a memorable first boner story? Um, I mean, they've all been special to some degree. I've never had an embarrassing boner that I can recall or anything. My first one involves Aaron Gray in the Buck Rogers TV show. It was that Nosferatu episode with the space vampires and she Mm. gets bit and she gets all sexy up on Buck Rogers and tried to bite him in her skin tight spandex suit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Knick-knack paddywhack, you know. I mean, if we're just talking about like, hey... When did young boners arise delightfully and unexpectedly? Uh, Elizabeth Shue and the Karate Kid was like, holy shit, women look like that. <laughs> but wasn't she always like running around in a like a sweatshirt? Yeah, I think it was the hair maybe. I mean, but like Aaron Gray in the the episode you're talking about ends up in like some skin tight bodysuit when she gets all vampired out. And it was like, well, I guess we're doing this now. Yeah. <laughs> You might as well throw on some solid gold dancers. Uh, I should probably go track her down at some Comic-Con and tell her that story. And then as security escorts me out violently, I'll have another story to share on this podcast that's equally as embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, you can just substitute the name Lindsay Wagoner for me, and I think we're (laughs) both in the mall, like the Hilton Hotel security, whoever's running that con. (laughs) 
what what would that con even be? It would be like middle aged boner con. You got your Aaron Gray, your Lindsay Wagoner, your Pam Dauber. You got a a panel of Charlie's angels. Uh huh. Various angels, sure. The ones who have survived. Pour one out for uh, the rest. Aaron Gray popped up on Silver Spoons too. She got around. The eighties were kind of sick with you know whisper thin brunettes. Yeah. I mean, and hey, it was a glorious age. No, no arguments here. <laughs> so it's now day two as castaways. Things are starting to draw to a close on the beach. And Audrey, you know, our narrator, she shows up and says, hey, everybody, Christmas is just three days away. You know what I want for Christmas this year? A man. Oh, my God, Audrey. Just, I mean, put a plug in it for fuck's sake. Everyone on this island is related, except for Mickey. And she's totally casual with how all of this is playing out. Because this family's just like bitching and complaining and they're being reminded that they're not going to have an official christmas you know with presents or santa or booze or family these are the things that they check off again no one mentions jesus in this conversation jesus is the reason for the season bo don't forget that okay i'm no i'm well aware many a billboard has told me that recently would you buy jesus christ barbecue rubs the reason for the seasoning (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what i i don't know it depends on uh how spicy it was all right so about this chad after audrey reminds everybody like hey it's three days until christmas and everyone starts bitching about like oh we don't have any presents or food or eggnog which are you know the three ingredients of christmas not jesus pointedly um mickey is like hey let's have an island christmas which knowing what we know now about the revelation later about where mickey comes from Mm -hmm. she's from milwaukee right she doesn't know shit from island christmases what she says is we should have an island christmas that's where we all get together and we celebrate what we're most thankful for you mean thanksgiving yeah right Thanks for doubling down on stupid, Mickey. (laughs) We'd expect a suggestion like that out of Eddie, but you, Mickey? What's an island Christmas, Mickey? Well, it's when we all get together and they make a cake and they take the number of years you've been alive and they put candles on the cake and then you blow them out and make a wish and people give you a present. Also, there's a leprechaun and people get drunk on green beer and we hide eggs that a magical bunny leaves. You idiot. <laughs> so Eddie uh then asks him, what's a Christmas? <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> Eddie says, that's a great idea. They should all exchange gifts. Well, this is where Ed Asner says, I know what I want. I want a full body massage, which is another way of saying, how about a hand job? Right. I want your nubile young fingers (laughs) rubbing my sagging papery old flesh. Is that good with you, Mickey? Is that... That how you want to spend Christmas morning? Then Mickey turns to Eddie and she says, Eddie, what have you always wanted for Christmas? And Eddie's just like, oh, I have everything I ever wanted. A good dog, six kids. And then his wife, Catherine, she gives him the real stink eye. And Eddie says, oh, yeah, and a wife who takes care of my every need, if you know what I mean. And it's like, yeah, Eddie, we know what you mean. Your son is eight feet away from you. And you're talking about how his mother sexually pleases your your manly needs. Actually, what I meant was sometimes I make a boom boom. And she 
tends to it. This was on national TV, Bo. On Saturday night, December 20th, primetime television on NBC. Normally, families would turn on their TV and they would see a production of the Nutcracker Ballet or maybe The Sound of Music on the Saturday night before Christmas. Instead, we have Ed Asner negotiating an over-the-pants rub-and-tug <laughs> while Cousin Eddie holds a banana in one hand and winks at his wife, alluding to how she milks his prostate. Maybe my favorite thing in this scene for sure is when Catherine is like, well, Eddie, we've always wanted a house. And Eddie laughs in her fucking face. Just, ha, we can't have a house. I mean, have you met me? Do you think that I am in any way responsible enough to deal with a mortgage and taking care of a home? <sighs> Snots the dog, then pisses on a stick near Eddie's leg for no good reason. Yeah, and then Third says, uh, because they've decided now to build this house, and Third says, if you build it, they will come. And you're like, what? Ed Asner's like, hey, so somebody over here talking about coming? (laughs) Mickey, what say you come over here and give me a little uh, hookah haka, hiki hookah? It doesn't have to be over the pants. Let's go out in the water. It'll make for easy cleanup. We're probably going to want to do it over there by the rocks. I took a shit over there. (laughs) Family of three found it earlier. (laughs) Eddie then says, all right, now that we're going to build this house, we're going to have a real Christmas dinner. We're going to have a real Christmas dinner with real meat. And then he just runs down the beach. Uh huh. And they're just like, oh, poor Eddie. Like, we just hope he's going to circle his way back around to camp. As long as he follows the sand, eventually he'll get back here. Right. It's like the dog from Funny Farm, which gets referenced a lot on this show. <laughs> By you. By me, because I think it's really funny. So he's stalking through the jungle hunting again. He sees this little piglet and starts to chase that. And he throws a spear at it and gets tangled up in a vine and falls down a hill. And then he sees this big ass boar that growls and stomps its hoof and it charges uh and chases eddie up a tree you make that sound way more dramatic than it is in this film because it's a bunch of editing together of footage that was not shot within the same week of (laughs) him in the tree and the boar on the ground i think they went to a zoo and filmed a boar and then edited it together into this film it, like if there, there's stock boar footage somewhere uh that is what's used in this movie it's like an old bird eye gordon movie and audrey gets delighted by this tree that Catherine has has made from you know just jungle brush at this point and they have this moment where they talk about dads and christmas and it's like a callback sort of to the original christmas vacation which also pretended to be somewhat sentimental and it's a throwaway scene and and, and not worth anyone's time <laughs> So while Eddie's up in this tree, he crawls out on the branch to try to get the spear that he chunked up there earlier. And just through sheer dumb luck, he falls over and I guess stabs the boar and kills it. Yeah, he just accidentally, like he, he falls ass over tea kettle out of this tree with the spear in hand and, and falls onto the boar killing it. So we're back on the beach. Immediately, Ed Asner has cooked the, this pig and Autry and Catherine are talking about how like Eddie is almost a real person uh-huh. by, you know, working on things and being successful there's a lot of patronizing like you did so good eddie so third and eddie are working on one of the hut walls with tools that they got from who the hell knows where and third says hey dad i gotta tell you something and eddie immediately says 
is your girlfriend pregnant? And third says, no, uh, that's not it. And then Eddie just happily goes back to working on his piece of the wall, just like clanging it with this hammer. And then third says, it's just dad that I always thought that you were sort of, and Eddie says, gay. Yeah. What the hell is happening in this movie? Yeah. I mean, I, I suppose it's supposed to be a joke. Is Eddie coming out to his son? Like he's just looking for anyone to give him a door to walk through. Uh, he just heard the word on Howard Stern and thought it was funny and is <laughs> repeating it now. <laughs> Third's like, no, I didn't think you were gay. I thought you were the bottom of the food chain, you know, a loser. Cause mom worked three jobs and you never worked at all. And she took care of the kids and she cooked and cleaned and you didn't do anything. It's like you're a, like a, one of those special needs adult. Oh my God. This all makes sense now, dad. I am so sorry for never respecting you. I, I, I should be amazed that you didn't set the house that we used to live in on fire. Clue number 17 that his father is mentally deficient is they mention, uh, like after he details the list of failures of Cousin Eddie's life, and it ends with, you know, and then the RV got repossessed. And that's the point where Eddie starts crying, where he's like, I missed the big car. And... <laughs> And you're right. I th like, this is the moment where Third's like, you know what? We haven't appropriately lowered our expectations for what you're capable of. But now that we have, you've done really amazing things here on this island. Like, you, <laughs> you have flourished in an environment that has almost no responsibility to place on you. <laughs> so we cut back to Chicago, where we see Audrey's house on a snowy street. And water is still blasting out of the windows of this home three different windows mind you why is this scene in this movie it's a callback to it well and there's also a phone call that happens here where you hear an answering machine where it's like hey we're the plumbers you called in the the first scene where the water busted and uh, we're letting you know that we're gonna have somebody there in the next 30 days i guess it's satire it, maybe at best they should have put this at the very end of the movie right like oh they're gonna have a mess to clean up when they get home could you imagine driving down the street of your neighborhood and seeing water exploding out of the windows and just be like mm, not my problem my neighborhood chad sure <laughs> keep to ourselves here so we're back on the island and it's now christmas day thank god maybe this movie will be over soon and uncle ed asner he dresses up like santa claus sort of and he starts handing out presents to everybody and audrey gets lipstick from eddie that he stole from her purse like i got this for you i know you like it it smells like your lips sometimes when you're asleep at night i smell your lips eddie is given an aerodynamic spear that his son third made and then eddie immediately throws the spear to you know give it a test drive and when he tosses the spear we hear an elephant <laughs> scream yeah which begs the question there are elephants on this island <sighs> moving on yeah it should have been like a cat screech that would have been i think both funnier and and more reasonable <laughs> Then Eddie, then, as if this movie couldn't get any fucking worse, Chad, Eddie is then just like, how about we sing Christmas songs? And then they just do that for a few minutes. <laughs> they sing Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Cover to cover, like the seldom heard fifth verse. <laughs> the last one's in Latin. Yeah, right. But, yeah. And I was like, what is, the, who is this for? Like, <laughs> At what point in National Lampoon's, this movie filled with Ed Asner burying his face in young women's tits, if that is your crowd, at what point did you think that slamming the brakes on this movie and just singing a Christmas carol 
is what that well, audience was looking for. I think in the original script, they actually read the full Christmas story from the Gospel of Mark or Luke. And like, this feels a bit labored. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cousin Eddie then told them the story of the Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> Incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> in his version at the end of it, the Grinch goes roller skating. <laughs> They have the hut that they've built, and they took time to take little pieces of bamboo and spill out the words Merry Christmas on the green palm fronds. No, they didn't. Like, wh you're doing what? Well, then Eddie is like, I got a surprise for everybody. And he has made this homemade booze uh -huh. from their stash of bourbon and banana peels and Tootsie Rolls and sand. Oh, I have the recipe, Bo. It's three parts coconut milk. Uh -huh. It's two parts bug juice. What the fuck is bug juice? <laughs> I think he just found some roaches and squeezed them. <laughs> okay, actual bug juice. Okay, got it. It's six parts bourbon, a banana peel for texture, and a Tootsie Roll, and some sunscreen. So basically, it's bourbon. <laughs> right. And Ed Asner goes to town on it. <laughs> Not since... <laughs> Not since Tom Hanks and uh, Family Ties has someone been so consumed <laughs> with uh, a strange liqueur. <laughs> so then they're going to christen the house like they've got another coconut of this shit uh -huh. that they're going to use to christen the house. Eddie just starts praying to the Lord for all that they have, and he really starts testifying uh -huh. like an evangelical preacher and then behind all of this you know and a lord and i thank you there starts singing a gospel choir that's right until ed asner interrupts eddie and says what's on that coconut and ed asner is either a clearly drunk or just dehydrated to the point of semi-consciousness and eddie says it's a tropical surprise which i'm like well that confirms my suspicion that there's piss in that thing <laughs> Anytime someone asks you to drink something with the word surprise in the in the name, don't. The surprise is urine every time. <laughs> Catherine slings the coconut and it hits the thatched hut and all is well. And then the cast of our movie go inside the hut. It's this one room, you know, lean-to shed. And they all are so surprised to see what it looks like on the inside. And you're like, you dumbasses built this. What are you pretending to be so shocked about? Nobody took a peek. Nobody opened the door in the three days it took to build this thing. Everybody just kind of... I want to be surprised. I want to be surprised. Don't tell me, don't tell me, don't tell me. Let me guess. It looks like the outside on the inside, but darker. If I try to open the door i need you to smack me in the face that is the only way you're going to keep me from from ruining the surprise for myself no matter what i say no matter what you hear if you let me inside that hut you will have undone everything that we have been working for <laughs> open this goddamn door <laughs> hey handsome sorry <laughs> They go inside the hut, and as Ed Asner closes the door behind him, the whole hut falls apart as expected. Because it is a, a TV movie, the ending of the scene is uh, is him saying, well, I guess we're going to learn to make the house more secure. Let's eat! And then fade to black, just like... It's what uh, SNL used to refer to as dropping the cow. You know, where it's just like, we are done with this scene, so we're going to drop a fake cow in the middle of it, and that's our way out. They might as well have done that. Eddie goes back to the top of the island, where he started that fire earlier, and he falls asleep uh, with Snots the dog. And then we get 
a surprise dream sequence. And it is this film black and white movie, like old timey with the player piano music in the background. And Eddie is dressed up as what I assumed was a drunken Tarzan up in the tree because he's got the leopard print loincloth and he just tilts back a tall can of beer before the camera cuts over to see Catherine in another tree. But beside Catherine is this large snake. And then I'm thinking, are they Adam and Eve? But then we cut to the ground where we see a monkey dressed in an over-the-shoulder leopard print singlet and the monkey is beating his chest like Tarzan. So I'm like, okay, this is totally a Tarzan dream. And then my next thought is, is that Roy the Chimpanzee that was at the start of this movie making a return appearance? Because, Bo, I know this is controversial, but all chimpanzees kind of look the same to me. I'm not a speciesist. Oh my God. I'm just being honest. I think all chimpanzees kind of look the same. Cut all this out. We are going to get so many letters and emails. The chimpanzee, you know how many chimpanzees listen to this show. How fucking stupid is this dream sequence? Uh, Again, the the gravest sin of all of this is none of this is funny. No. Which is a shame because I don't think Randy Quaid is an unfunny person. But this is all just him mugging for the camera and acting like an idiot. And none of it's funny because there's no real jokes. You're talking about this scene or the whole movie? Both. Okay. Eddie then, he swings and he misses the tree and then wings, wakes up screaming from this dream. That's how people wake up from bad dreams in movies. That's how I wake up every day. <laughs> the existential horror of life is the first thing I think of every morning. I'm just ah, I'm going to die. About this time, there is a sound of an airplane behind him and he turns around. It's the seaplane from earlier and it comes into frame and it flies over Zeddy's head. And the cast of our movie is now going to be saved. If you pause the film right here, you'll see that there are 20 minutes left in this movie. And you're thinking to yourself, dear God, please make it end. Mm, We really wrap things up in record time. (laughs) The plane lands and it's Aussie Jack and he comes walking up on the beach. And then Audrey pushes her like sarong down a bit to show off her hip and her ass and she just starts screaming a man a man come over here you uh, i've got something soft and wet i want you to explore in my notes the way i i phrase it was she tarts herself up but that's what she does (laughs) it's a real you know i i know i've been theoretically lost uh on a desert island for some time but that's no reason not to get laid chad Aussie Jack shows up and he says, I was just flying over to check on the hotel that I own. Remember we mentioned that earlier? Well, it's on the other side of this island, just a few miles one way or the other. And the whole cast is like, wah, wah. So all, the whole cast is going to be saved. They realize that they're going to have to return to civilization. And Audrey is, again, just all but wrapping her legs around Aussie Jack. Everybody starts talking about how they're going to miss the island. You know, they've been here for like two or three days and ed asner says i'll miss this place and not having things like telephones and people calling you trying to sell you stuff you don't need and all that rap music on beer commercials and like, whoa 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 yeah. ed asner yeah that made it to the notes too that's a real pump the brakes moment in this movie you're like whoa i didn't realize he was sexist and racist well that's just the cherry on top for this character i got a feeling when he steps in the voting booth he's pretty much down the party line <laughs> Nothing but big R's. Yeah. Ed Asner in this movie, thank Christ he left his Viagra uh, prescription back on the island, back in the hotel. Yeah. 
Otherwise, Mickey would have woken up every night with him sneaking into her sleeping bag with a rock-hard old man boner. The fact that this movie isn't really a horror film is due to just a slight change of tone. About this time, Eddie shows up screaming, Hey, I saw an airplane! I saw an airplane! Did you all see the airplane? And Mickey says, You know, I'm gonna miss all of you. You know what? What is the name of this island? And Aussie Jack says, Ah, it's named after some murdering headhunter. Why don't you group of ding-dongs rename it to something else and Catherine says let's name it eddie island and eddie's like yay i got my own island now aussie jack and eddie go up to the top of the mountain just to move the plot along and while they're up there man they're discussing how eddie got bit on the ass by a monkey playing tic-tac-toe and all that other kind of bullshit and then eddie and aussie jack just decide to pick up a small boulder the boulder gets dropped on aussie jack's foot and then somehow eddie ends up holding aussie jack's hat while the chin strap is wrapped around his neck as aussie jack hangs precariously over the edge of a cliff this is the single dumbest thing in this movie this is number one because the whole premise of him falling off this hill is contingent on eddie saying hey this rock one of many on this hill could like one of your guests could trip over it and fall down this hill so let's move it okay and aussie jack instead of saying that's fucking stupid these are rocks this is where they belong right you you don't say that kind of thing to somebody like eddie because he'll start screaming and pulling his hair out throwing a real tantrum right uh like that time at woolworths he didn't get the the box of valentine's candy in the shape of the heart and you tried to explain to him Mm -hmm. they had to call an ambulance (laughs) yeah and so what what aussie jack does is like hey let me help you move that rock from hey buddy here to over there yeah let's come on you and me buddy we'll do that and it's just the dumbest man i just hate this movie so much yeah he falls down the hill aussie jack that is eddie's trying to hold on to him and jack says let me go let me go because he's got him by the rope that's around his hat so it's choking him and eddie does release him and he rolls down the hill uh which of course is another thing we don't see in this movie much like the dog attacking the christmas tree it happens off screen where it's the funniest because there's nothing better than the sound of a sight gag i'm assuming aussie jack is gonna be dead but he's not dead he's pretty much fine because they go down and he's laying on the beach in the sand and audrey's there like oh my look at you you need someone to to take care of you let's get you out of these pants and get your underwear off you need room to breathe here let me sit on top of you and give give you crotch to crotch resuscitation i'm i'm gonna give you mouth to penis resuscitation (laughs) and if that doesn't do it for you i'm willing to go mouth to ass resuscitation that's the kind of girl audrey is in this movie so our whole cast gets inside the seaplane and off they fly but aussie jack is still a little tatered from his tumble down the hill Uh, and then in the back audrey hears that aussie jack is having a headache and she screams he needs me he needs me and aussie jack is suffering from a brain embolism or something he's just kind of fading in and out and he's talking to the tower and then finally aussie jack just goes unconscious and I'm going to save us some time here. To make a long story short, Eddie takes over the controls of the plane and he lands it. This felt like at an hour and 10 minutes, 
they realized that they did not have enough movie. No, because this landing scene is about five to seven minutes long, and it feels like it's about two hours. It's constant cuts to Eddie in a cockpit talking to someone at, at, like at the tower that you never see. And it's not, they're not jokes. It's just like, whoa, what do I land? Oh, it's a seaplane. Well, I guess I better be in water. It's just awful. The guy in the tower tells him not to hit the tower, which immediately Eddie like zooms it. You said hit the tower? I can do that. It's like bowling with a plane. So Third and Catherine take turns telling him it's like the time you did something unbelievably stupid or whatever. But Third is like, you can do it, Dad. And then he does. Right. He just he lands the plane. That, it, that's what happens. Right. And it ends with him like landing the plane and going bingo. Like that's his catchphrase or something. Is that a thing? I, I, <sighs> Moving on. It's, third is then watching TV. <laughs> Uh, that it's announcing this holiday video, like a news report. That's like, oh, there's a video from their stripper daughter to because they had been lost at sea and it became a media sensation, which of course we never see. No, Aunt Jessica, who who you may not recall from the beginning of this movie as the lady that ran off with the Christmas tree delivery guy, has shown up and asked to see Uncle Nick. Wait, hold on. This old lady is ed asner's wife i yes i think that's the case so she just shows up she's in the movie now (laughs) hey welcome to the movie there's about four minutes left glad you could show up right we're introducing characters to the very last i appreciate that from this movie willing to take a chance she looks over at third and she's like like hey i'm your aunt jessica go get ed asner and third who's like 13 years old he turns around and looks at this old lady and she was like hey did you have sex with that christmas tree delivery guy and this old lady says don't ask wink wink and you're just like gross aunt jessica got her groove back yeah the number of times i talked to my great aunt about her sex life couldn't count it on one hand chad yeah i count it on one hand while i'm making a fist oh every character in this is just reprehensible and so at the at the hospital audrey's all pissed off because they're leaving the hospital because it's way too expensive to shoot inside with all the (laughs) machines and beds and all that stuff so audrey and the family are outside talking about how the guy inside the hospital aussie jack who we don't need to pay for another day of acting (laughs) right that this guy that she has no real relationship with is real at all she's real pissed off that he has a wife and five kids and is announced that she will never love again until the next man comes along that she just throws herself at because she has no self-esteem or sense of self-worth none then there's this joke question mark where pretty blonde is pushing a man in a wheelchair eddie sees him as like hey buddy what happened to you and she says well he had a nervous breakdown this morning he's an wait for it air traffic controller what what, what, what? yeah and eddie's like oh and looks real hang dog and yeah eddie gets up in his face like merry christmas buddy snap out of it snap out of it and then the guy jumps up and screams eddie and he hightails it out of there hearing his voice i can't believe they didn't speed up the film so that he just you know like ran away that way it would have been actually kind of funny if that had happened we're back in the bungalow the family comes in and eddie says i gotta go sit on the can so he goes off to shit, and then we're inside, and Uncle Ed Asner uh, is getting that white fur that covers his shoulders massaged by Aunt Jessica. And then Uncle Ed Asner, he's sitting there, and he's smoking a cigar, and he's drinking from this gutted pineapple husk with a pink parasol. And then 
Ed Asner tells Aunt Jessica, who just came back to him after having sex with a younger Christmas tree delivery man, mind you. Uncle Ed Asner says, after you give me this massage, get your butt in the kitchen and fix me a decent dinner. I've been eating nothing but burnt pig and bananas. That's a, but that is a quote from this movie. It was shocking, but no less shocking is the immediate aftermath of this line where Jessica, Aunt Jessica, then looks at the camera winks uh-huh and then you cut to Catherine, who winks right back they're gonna do a crisscross aren't they <laughs> they're gonna murder each other's husband that would make a lot of sense because I, otherwise i have no idea what this look exchange between them is <laughs> unless it's isn't it great to be the footstool of a man <laughs> it is head scratching and then we find eddie who has gone to the south pacific division of the atomic when is this movie gonna end (laughs) it it has more endings than return of the fucking king and he goes to the atomic testing service and now mickey is working there yeah she's a scientist i think right but uh, whatever third then shows mickey a picture of Paige and is like see what you could have had I'm fucking her now. And she's like, whatever, little kid. I'm about to call the police if you say another word to me. I don't like the way you or your uncle looks at me. I don't have to put up with it anymore. And by the way, I saw both of you jerking off to me while I was splashing around in that pool. You know what? The lawsuit's coming. All right. I got a, yes, I've got a phone on my camera. I know what you were doing. Anyway, Fred Willard is waiting for Eddie inside and he gives him a big hug. He's now the Hawaii branch office science guy. Look, what are we going to pay another actor? We're, we're almost done here. We got one scene. It don't matter. Doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. Well, you know who else is there? Roy the chimpanzee. Wearing a tie-dye shirt and a tie-dye bucket hat, mirrored sunglasses, and he's got that signature stogie right in his mouth. I will say that them saying Roy is there, not in an official capacity, he's just on vacation, kind of funny. I got a feeling that Roy the chimpanzee is filled up with golf ball-sized tumors so much that he looks like a gumball machine if you cut him open. Oh my God. (laughs) Belly full of fish eggs. And Eddie uh, is replacing Roy as it happens. and But Eddie says, no thanks. I got myself a new job because apparently he and Roy have been talking on the side about a different business venture. Uh-huh. And they are, it is a cut to them in the cockpit of a seaplane as Eddie just yeehaws uh-huh. and we roll credits to, I would point out, no music it is just black you left out one important detail how could i have eddie is in the cockpit of a seaplane with roy the chimpanzee and they're upside down oh yeah right because it's a chimpanzee and a mentally handicapped person flying a fucking plane and that's never gonna go well for anyone and like i said there ends the movie with a moment of silence to think about what has happened as the credits roll. (laughs) There is nothing more festive than black screen and no music. It's haunting. It's it's like the end of the fucking day after. (laughs) It's it's like you think to yourself, what have I done? What am I doing with my life? (laughs) I like, yeah, it's, it's like going to a Holocaust Memorial, the, the credits of this movie. You just have to sit and think about everything that led to it. Put that on the movie poster. (laughs) Christmas Vacation 2. It's like going to a Holocaust memorial. (laughs) That's what it felt like. 
It was so sad. That's that's it. That's Christmas Vacation 2, Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure. I don't recommend anyone ever see this movie. If you want to torture yourself or if you hate your family, <laughs> spend $2 and get it off of Amazon Prime and turn it on and then just leave the house that's, for your relatives to suffer through it. That is how you I, announce that you are leaving the family. You are <laughs> turning on Christmas Vacation 2 and going out for the proverbial pack of cigarettes and they never see you again right their last memory is like he put on the shittiest movie i ever saw and then fucked right out of all of our lives it's terrible it's it's worse than it's pat it's worse than <laughs> wing commander <laughs> that's the one i was thinking of it's worse than what was the other shitty one we saw recently graveyard shift was real bad graveyard shift was pretty rotten but this beats them all i really thought when we saw it's pat that that would hold the title for many seasons to come but we're through nine seasons and that belt has changed hands four times yeah it's like the intercontinental wrestling championship or something like it is <laughs> it is being moved week to week every time we think we have set the bar as low as we possibly can on cinematic miscarriages <sighs> yeah we find a way to go a little bit lower yeah speaking of terrible movies yeah. we are on the precipice of our 10th season of Pick 6 Movies, if you can believe it. And boy, do we have an exciting season planned for our foray into double digits. Bo, would you care to be the bearer of good news? Oh, I, I'm honored, really. Um, the next season will be entitled Hot Wheels, a season all about uh, cars and car racing and, and slam-bang action uh, involving automobiles. And we're going to start with maybe one of the finest movies ever made, uh, which, of course, is The Cannonball Run. I own three novelizations of motion pictures. They are as follows. The Golden Child, uh -huh. Fright Night, uh -huh. and The Cannonball Run. And I have read all three of them no less than five times each. I think I've read those. I think I borrowed those from you. I remember Fright Night <laughs> in particular. So it's going to be a good time. We're excited about this one. It's going to be a lot of cars, a lot of racing, a lot of crashing, cars jumping, cars blowing up. It is going to be a car festival of rubber burning engine blazing seatbelt wearing safety first for six all new episodes of pick six movies so we want to thank everyone for joining us for this bonus holiday episode to round out the new year as always send us an email drop us a line we'd love to hear your feedback if you have an idea for a season let us know we will happily happily entertain it and maybe pack it into the upcoming year Bo, do you have any final thoughts on this bonus holiday episode of pick six movies yeah uh sorry for dropping a real lump of coal into everyone's stockings with this one but uh, uh it had to be done we had to do this at some point we're so sorry merry christmas to everybody happy holidays come back and see us in two weeks as we will start off our 10th season hot wheels room